the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to welcome back to the show a good friend, Ed Morrissey. Many of you have known him as Captain Ed. He's the managing editor at HotAir.com, host of his own podcast, and uh, I serve with him, uh, privileged to serve with him on the town hall dot um, com editorial board ed happy friday thanks for being with us happy friday great to great to be on with you Seth. thanks so much yeah you bet not much going on um we'll see if we can invent a few things uh i want to ask you uh first of all what's going to happen on monday and uh let you take it from there and then i want to kind of go through the title of your weekend review that you do i i love i love your title but tell me what's going to happen monday in iowa well it's going to be extremely cold in <laughs> okay. Iowa. We got vortex. that. <laughs> Safe bet. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> the polar vortex will be there, and it will be spectacular. Yes, um, so it's going to. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that may have an impact on the outcome of the Iowa caucuses, right? Because you have to. Uh, I mean, the caucuses are held in the evening. You can't just go earlier in the day. You have to show up to a meeting, and you have to be present um, as uh, as the ballots are voted on and. What they do is they cycle through until, you know, lower-scoring candidates will drop off, and then they'll re-vote, and they'll re-vote. Usually that's the process in these caucuses, so it takes a while. So you have to get people, you have to convince people to get out of their houses in Iowa in the second week of January. And <laughs> it's not going to be the easiest sale um, uh, when that polar vortex hits over the weekend. Uh, so... It always organization is usually key in Iowa, and, and and those weather conditions it might be even more so. So there's room here for potentially a an upset, but right now, I mean, just all the indicators that you can possibly have are showing that Donald Trump is probably going to run away with this thing. And, and, um, given and given inclement weather, though, but given inclement weather, that does kind of say the candidate whose followers or supporters are the most passionate are the ones least least likely to care about the the inclemency of the weather, don't you think? It does. Yeah. It does. But but uh, so that's one that's one aspect of it. But the other is organization. The yes. ones that you've been who've yes. been contacted several times. Yes. The ones who you can drive, send a car over to pick up yes. and then bring back. Those types of things matter as well. And organization really does matter. It also matters that. You know, in Iowa and in New Hampshire, uh, candidate presence matters, too. Yep, DeSantis yep. has spent a lot of time in Iowa. Nikki Haley has spent a lot of time in New Hampshire. And that type of, that type of stumping matters. The, what I will say as a caveat to that, though, is normally you'd see that reflected in polling. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that in either state. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a mutual friend, I'm sure he's a mutual friend of ours, uh, John Gabriel on a little earlier. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, I asked him, I'll ask you, I asked him this question. I said, are we talking about, is is, is the DeSantis-Haley race, the Seinfeld, talk about nothing? Does it matter? Do they matter? Are we, is our focus on them relevant? You know, I, 
I think it is still. I mean, so here's here's what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. You've got really, in, in both parties, you've got two different tracks here. You've got just the regular primary track, yeah. you know, collecting delegates and all that kind of stuff. And yep. in that sense, no, it's probably not terribly relevant at this point. But you've also got both presumed nominees yep. who have significant issues. Trump, significant legal issues. Biden, significant presumed health issues. Mm-hmm. And they may not be able to make it to the, the convention okay. for one reason or another. Okay. So you need to have this so that you have at least some people, you know, even if they're not winning these primaries here, you need to at least have them tested out. I had a caller yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, it might have been the day before, he said, uh, is there a chance we could see a Trump-DeSantis ticket? My own sense is it's highly unlikely. I think too much has been said that regardless of what they feel about one another, gives the reporters, the journalists, just too much to hit each other upon. But I wonder what you think about this. I, Trump said he's already selected. Who knows? I, I have my guess as to who he would select. I, it's not DeSantis in my head. No, mine either, and I don't think DeSantis would do it. DeSantis okay. has a job that he can go back to, right? Yeah, he can go back yeah. to being governor of Florida, and yep. he can have another couple of good years doing that, then raise some money in the in the succeeding two years and run again in 2028. You know, I don't think, I mean, he may not have been able to penetrate you know, the Trump bubble in this particular cycle, and we don't know that for sure yet. We won't really know that until voters actually start showing up. But uh, But even if he didn't do that, I mean, I think he... I think he handled himself credibly. I think if he had a chance, he'd go back and do a couple things differently. But, I mean, honestly, I think he handled himself credibly, didn't do himself any real damage. And even if Trump wins the nomination, Republicans are going to have to come up with a, even if he wins the election, Republicans are going to have to come up with a new nominee in 2028 because Trump is limited to one term. And so presumably if he decided to do that at 48 years of age, I think, at, at that point in time, he might have to go up against whoever you know Trump's running mate was. I suspect it's going to be somebody like Christy Noem. Yeah, uh, I do too. I, maybe Tim Scott or Christy Noem. That's my list. And yeah, not, not necessarily in that choice. order, but that's my list. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Tim Scott's another good choice. Christy Noem. Uh, you know, I know that people are thinking Kari Lake, but I, I don't think that that's. I mean, you'd know that better than I would because you're right there on the ground in Arizona. But I don't think that that's where he wants to go. I think he would want to expand his reach. Um, in the Republican Party, and Christy Noem is uh, is sympathetic to him, uh, but she's her own person, and she would make actually a pretty good um, uh, face for the Republican Party. I, don't I, know I would I would delight, you know, I would just delight in watching Vice President Kamala Harris debating Christy Noem. I would just delight in that to the degree. Well, yeah, I mean, if Kamala Harris yeah. would consent to it, you know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, again, and I, I would say that um, I'm not even sure we're going to have debates. And I'm well, pretty that's sure interesting. That the, I, I am pretty sure. I mean, that's been an open question, is that because of Democrats Joe Biden. are saying they, do, they, they don't want to, they're going to say that they don't think that Trump should be a legitimate candidate, et cetera, yeah. so they're not going to debate him. Uh, I think if it's somebody else, I think if it's DeSantis or Haley, they'd be forced to do it. But um, but if it's Trump, I think they're going to they're going to try to delegitimize him and saying you know we're not going to take the stage with this guy, um, and it might be convincing uh, for their base and maybe some of the independents to do that. 
Um, but what that also does is it lets Kamala Harris out of the hook from having to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If they're not going to have a VP debate, if they don't have a presidential debate, and it would fit well within the Democratic Party's reelection campaign theme of the Ill- illegitimacy of the Republican leader, right, or leadership right. or party, however they're casting us. I, I think they're painting with a broad brush, but yes, that is their theme. We are, we are so, uh, we are such untermensch. Is that the right word? Yeah. Unter. Yes. Yes, we are such untermensch that they won't even stand on a stage with us. Yeah, I, I think that um, that's going to be sort of the attitude, even if they're even if they're not necessarily saying that as explicitly as we're laying it out. Yeah. I think that that's going to be the attitude in, in a campaign that involves Donald Trump is that they're going to just say this guy is an insurrectionist. Yeah. This guy is uh, you know is a disgrace. Mm. Uh, we don't have to. We don't have to do the normal things. Because uh, the Republicans should be ashamed of themselves for even having this guy in the ticket. Yeah. Biden is being fairly uh, much more explicit than I would have guessed. Um, After that speech he gave in Georgia, is it now two years old, where he blamed the Republican Party for being the party of Jefferson Davis and Bull Connor and George Wallace? Um, I thought he might temper that. He's not. He's not tempering that. Nazi Germany made an appearance in his speech at Valley Forge and not about anti-Semitism in America, but about the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, and this is who Joe Biden is. Yep. You know, Joe Biden has always been this guy. He's always been a vicious, um, acidic demagogue. He's always been that guy. And I don't even think it's much different than he's been for the last 35 years. The same guy that did the, you know, the Clarence accused Mitt Romney of yeah, Mitt putting them all yeah. back in, mm-hmm. put, you know, he's going to put you all back yeah. in chains. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a guy who is basically with fewer brain cells. Yeah, always has been. Yeah, I was having that discussion just yesterday with a guest, and I'm going to take a break in a moment here. Maybe we can come back on that because. For all this reportage about uh, Donald Trump's personality, or um, to put it to put it boldly, uh, that he's he's not a good man. Maybe maybe he's good businessman. Maybe he's was a good president, but he's just not. There's this talk, you know. He's he's a he's a he's not a good man. Um, I I don't know <laughs> that for those that even want to accept that. That Joe Biden is a better one. And and I wonder if we might just talk about that for a moment when we come back. And you gave two good examples. But I think there's a lot of other indicia on that as well. It's kind of like when people said Donald Trump was corrupt when he was running against Hillary Clinton. And it's like, OK, you know, um, I, compared to Hillary Clinton, you know, at best, it's a wash. Ed Morrissey and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Ed Morsey is our guest. He is the managing editor of HotAir.com, among other things. We played him a little Galveston there because he lives in Texas, don't you, Ed? I hope that's... I do live I'm in not Texas, although not near Galveston. I love that song, by the way. It's, it's, it's rated by professionals, Ed, as one of the greatest marriages of lyrics and music, and um, Jimmy Webb wrote it, uh, Glenn Campbell singing it. It is a magical song. It is a deeply magical song, I think. Uh, well, I mean, uh, Jimmy Webb and Glenn Campbell. Yeah, there was a really good um, documentary about the um, the Wrecking Crew. Oh my God! Was, Let's talk about that. I have only I, seen it five times. Yeah, it's. 
it's an amazing it's an amazing documentary yes. and i didn't realize that glenn campbell had come out of right. the studio right um right I, I mean i just assumed that he was all along just a, a solo act right but and it's a if you ever want to know about the the great music of the 1950s 1960s and maybe the early 1970s well really into the 1970s. i think it goes further into the 70s almost every song you would recognize these guys are on it it's an it's an and then there was the, the the one of the guys that was on the Gong Show doing yes. a very funny bit up in Gong Show. We just recently passed away. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. and uh, oh my goodness, what a great documentary! It is a is. great documentary. I have not seen. There's a mirror image of it. Some people have recommended to me about Muscle Shoals. I haven't seen that one. Have you? That does the southern. I music? have heard that. I have heard of that. I have not yet seen it. No. All right. Next time you're in Arizona, we'll make a romantic night of it. We'll get some popcorn <laughs> <laughs> and we'll sit down and we'll watch the Muscle Shoals one together. You were in Arizona That's recently, and we couldn't get together, unfortunately. But maybe I didn't entice you with the right entertainment, huh, Ed? Oh, um, that might have been it. I don't might... know. That could have been. <laughs> okay. You had a good trip here, right? I did, yeah. It was great to visit Phoenix again. I lived there briefly about 30 years ago. So, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Before we were a blue state, you left and you took the red with you, huh? I guess I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to, but I guess yeah. I did. Thanks. Say a word about what Hot Air is. Hot Air is a conservative um, a website. It's uh, analysis of politics, culture, pretty much anything that uh, that uh, strikes our fancy. We're part of the Salem Media Group through the town hall um, uh, town hall media group, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. The mafia? Theory, I guess. Mafia? Monopoly? We call it the syndicate. Though. Yeah, it's you know, the syndicate. We call it the thing. You know, the thing. Yeah. yeah. Our thing. We call it our thing, yeah. you know, because that's never been used before. Yeah, no. um, but, uh, yeah, so we've been do. I've been there for, uh, I've been, the website's been around for 18 years, gotcha. I've been there for 16, yep. and uh, and it's uh, I I love doing my job every single day. Yeah, you do a great one at it too, Ed. Uh, okay, let me ask you this tough question because I'm seeing these columns more and more. Sometimes I agree, sometimes not so much. Um, has Donald Trump changed the Republican Party, Ed? You know, I don't know if Donald Trump has changed the Republican Party or that the changes in the Republican Party allowed Donald Trump to to become its leader. Okay. I think that the populism had been building, you know, the Tea Party wasn't really a populist movement. It was really sort of a, um, it was, I would say it's a, it was a grassroots conservative movement based on tax policies, right? right? Taxed enough and, already, um, right, T-E-A-T, right. T-E-A, taxed yeah. enough already. Right. But then I think because it really, you know, it, it succeeded in the 2010 election and to some extent the 2012 election, although clearly not the presidential election, I think that it kind of morphed into a populist, um, a populist movement when it became clear that the, the policy objectives were not being pursued okay. by the Republican Party. Okay. And I think that is part of what transferred the energy within the GOP to the populists. And at the same time, by the way, you're seeing the populist movement come up in the Democrat Party. It's a very different kind of populism. It's the Bernie Sanders, you know, AOC kind of populism. But both of those populist movements really come from the same source, which is a betrayal of party establishments to to fulfill the the, the policy expectations of their grassroots voters. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it was that betrayal that had um, that plus the fact that 
the mainstream media, you know, consistently demonizes anybody who comes up through the ranks in the Republican Party. Um, I think that's what had the grassroots looking for somebody who could just simply break the mold or just break everything. Mm-hmm. And and that was Donald Trump in, in 2015 and 2016. I think he sensed that, and he was able to really grab onto that populist movement. And it's still there, and they still see him as their champion, as the guy who's going to break things on their behalf. You know, I have maintained a thesis for many years now, and I I may have been wrong. I don't think I have been. I think I can still make the case that the way Donald Trump's well, first of all, his platform in 2016, but then the way he governed as president, uh, regardless of what he says or speaks to, is fairly traditional conservative Republican stuff. Uh, you can find Goldwater, you can find Coolidge, you can find Reagan, you can find Buckley in what he did. It wasn't so aberrational, but the way he spoke about issues Sometimes those and sometimes different ones, the way he spoke about them gave a voice to those who may not have gelled to that and may not have understood it. And it was that tenor and timbre of Donald Trump that was more different than the merits of Donald Trump. And I don't know if you agree with that. No, I I do. I mean, because I first off, I tend to think of things in terms of linguistics anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, And so when you were speaking in the language of a group, even though Donald Trump had tr- some trouble speaking the language of, say, the pro-life yes. movement, yeah, yeah. you know, in, the, in, in his first um, campaign, yeah. but he was really speaking the language of blue-collar um, workers yep. who had felt betrayed. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, it's amazing that the guy who really spoke their language was the multi-billionaire. Yeah, not lunch pail Joe, not apartment. blue-collar you know? Joe. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, but but he did, and yeah. and, and similarly, right. Joe Biden didn't has not yet, and still you know still cannot speak the language of the blue collar workers in the Democrat Party, even though he's got a, a more legitimate claim on it. Yeah, because those people are uh, sick and tired of the establishment, and they're following the squad. They're following Bernie Sanders, and uh, and you know a large part of that has to do with academia. Yeah, uh, sort of looking down their noses anyway on on blue-collar workers. Yes, and journalism. And I want to pick up on that because there is an element to him. I mean, when he said, and I guess he's backing down from it a bit, but when he said, I am your retribution, um, there was something very clear about, maybe that's not the right word, but there was something very much about championing those who feel like they just aren't getting their voices heard. He has a unique ability to do that in a way that Ron DeSantis doesn't have, in a way that very few other political leaders have been able to harness and um, and exploit. And I don't mean exploit pejoratively, just, you know, utilize for political uh, advantage. And we might come back on that if you don't mind ed sure and i'll give you oh you want another good documentary music you like music unless you're jeffrey lebowski and you hate the eagles the eagles documentary is fantastic i love the eagles i'll check it out yeah i think it was showtime it's about five hours but it is i've watched it twice it's really good it's really good too ed morrissey and i'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Ed Morrissey is my guest, editorial board member at Town Hall, managing editor at HotAir.com, host of his own podcast. I want to get to that in a moment, too. 
But Ed, that that unique thing about Donald Trump that I was I think it's unique uh, or at least unique amongst a lot of Republicans that he's able to harness a voice of people who just kind of, that's to me what the populism is. It's not so much his policies as his ability to speak on behalf of a group that has felt unheard. Um, Peggy Noonan, I've quoted her now twice today when I probably shouldn't do too much of that, had a good point uh, about him four years ago or maybe a little longer, maybe six years ago. She said, you know, people are getting tired of the media telling conservatives they're stupid because they know they're not. And Donald Trump's really their only vehicle to show that And I, because he pushes it back at them. He pushes it back in their face. Ramaswamy has a unique way of doing it, too, but I don't think he's going anywhere. But that is what Donald Trump is about, isn't it? Giving voice to those who just felt voiceless. You know, you know sometimes we tend to make fun of the, you know, but he fights thing. But, yeah, you know, yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah, he fights. Honestly, that's, that, that's, that's, that's a huge thing. It is. Um, they see him as somebody who's willing to fight. Now, the question is, is does he win? Yeah. And he won once. Yep. And it hasn't been going well ever since. And we can say, certainly with a lot of justification, that a lot of that has to do with the media. Yep. A lot of that has to do with um, a concerted effort to derail him almost from the time that the polls closed in 2016. Yep. Um, and and that involved, you know, American intelligence, that involved um, the Obama administration and the Clintons and so on and so on, all of which is true. But there is a there's a limiting factor to that, right, which is that if you're if you're, all you're going to do is speak to one faction yeah. of one party, yeah. you're going to have a limited appeal. Yeah. The, the trick is to be able to have credibility with the faction that you represent, but to be able to speak more broadly to other factions within the party and in other parties in order to build some sort of coalition that will allow you to get things done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Trump had an opportunity for that maybe in 2017, 2018, when Republicans controlled the Congress. Mm-hmm. And Republicans kind of stepped all over themselves mm-hmm. on that in terms of the um, uh, Obamacare repeal. Mm-hmm. But some of that was just an inability of Trump to shift into a governing mode. Mm-hmm. He really just doesn't have a way to do that very easily. And so I would, I, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a good quality to have. Being a fighter in politics is a good quality to have, but it can't be the only quality. Yeah. He had the tragic problem that ends up facing a lot of outsiders to, 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 that become president. Jimmy Carter had it. Bill Clinton had it. When they got there, they had a lot of staff and personnel problems. They figured out a course correction. And, and, and well, Clinton certainly much more than Carter. But they figured, out a, they figured out a course correction in a way that he never really did. I think if there was one big error, it really was his personnel uh, more than personality. I think that there's a case to be made for that. I okay. think eventually he landed on some pretty good personnel. Okay. But part of the problem was is that this chaos in the beginning of the administration where they just weren't picking anybody. Yeah. And then they didn't vet them very well. Yeah. And that's the type of thing that happens when you have rookies. Yeah. That 
you know, start in politics at the presidential level. That's the better word for it than I used. I like that. And word. and so I mean, you know, he's a novice, yeah. and his campaign was run by novices, mm-hmm. really, for the for the most part. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the RNC got involved that they actually even built an organization that could you know turn out votes. Right. And and so there's there's lots of you know ifs and buts and um, what ifs that could go into this, but I honestly think he lost the 2020 election because he couldn't modulate mm-hmm. his. Um, his tone, especially in a time of crisis. I'd written a column, because I was kind of thinking there might be some sort of economic crisis yeah. in 2020 that would right. that would be a stumbling block. Yeah. And I wrote a column that said, I don't think that Donald Trump can modulate his, his, um, his tone enough to keep the confidence of the American people in case of a financial crisis. And then immediately after that, the pandemic hits, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that that proved that. I mean, he had this sort of chaotic back and forth, you know, uh, especially with uh, Fauci in terms of, you know, endorsing Fauci, yep. then fighting yep. Fauci, yep. then endorsing yep. Fauci. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, you end up making nobody happy. Uh, let me um, pick up on some themes that you have in your uh, Week in Review this week, Ed. Can I keep you one more segment? Absolutely. Thank you. Ed Morrissey, Hot Air. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Ed Morrissey is my guest, among other things, the managing editor of uh, HotAir.com. We said a word about inexperience um, in the previous segment. Let's say a word about experience now, Ed, um, because it's not the be-all and end-all either. You can be experienced and keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. I give you our current president, and um, no, no one would say he lacks for experience. Um, but the world, my God, Ed, the world seems like it's on the precipice of pandemonium under a president who used to be the head of foreign re- – I think, yeah, head of foreign relations. The Senate Foreign Relations yeah, Committee. Yeah, yeah, Joe yeah, Biden used to be – yeah. and don't forget what Robert Gates said about him. Though. That's the, right. Got everything ever, wrong all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, in 40 years, he's been on the wrong side of every yep. foreign policy question. That yep. was, what, in 20. 20- 12, I Probably, think, yeah. or 2014. Probably, uh, and it, it keeps getting it keeps getting more and more um, apparent yeah. that Gates was right, and yeah. we sh- everybody should listen to Gates. And uh, I mean, I've I've been following Biden's career since the '87 presidential campaign, and I can again assure people that this isn't dementia. He's just really this dumb. Yeah. And he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, no matter who else is in there with him. He's just really this dumb. And Gates Gates saw it. Um, anybody who paid attention to him could see it. You could see that he was very, very um, insecure about it, too, because anytime he got challenged on whether or not he knew what he was talking about, he would get very pugilistic. Literally. And I think he invited people literally. to fisticuffs. Yeah. That was one of the things that killed his campaign in 1987. It right. was... It was not just the fact that he had uh, lifted uh, portions of Neil Kinnock's speeches right. and plagiarized them. Right. It was also the fact that there was enough, that, that there was indications he had plagiarized in law school, yep. as well as the fact that he was he tried to pick a fight with somebody in a bar yep. and um, lied about his school record yep. and uh, talked about his own IQ. And yep. I mean, he just came across as a real jerk. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed at all. It's a funny thing about our country and leadership. You know, you can be a longtime senator from a state with a million people as its population today. It wasn't a million when he was senator. And, you know, 
and then you're all of a sudden find yourself in charge of a country of 340 million people. It's a weird thing when all he ever had to do before he went to the White House under Obama, let us say, all he ever had to do was please half a million people. That's all he ever had to do in a state that is, you know, not quite exactly representative of the rest of the country. It's a weird thing how that can work. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, or really any Speaker of the House, you know, they're there by dint of the vote of 150,000 people, and yet they're third in line to the presidency, right? It's an odd thing about America when you think about it. Well, I mean, and again, I mean, he certainly, Joe Biden got elected in 2020 by winning winning a lot more than half a million votes. Yes, no, of course, of course. But were he not, yes, but were he not elevated up by dint of of, of years and years and years of service is all I'm saying from a very no, small absolutely. slice. No, you're yeah, absolutely yeah, correct. Yeah. But on the other hand, again, Donald Trump managed to crash that system and mm-hmm, win, mm-hmm. Uh, win in 2016 without yeah. ever having gotten a single vote previous to that in his entire life. I mean, it really just depends on who you are and what the moment is in American politics. Uh, As far as the issue of being third in line, um, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi being third in line, you know, with the constituency of around 700,000 people, I mean, that's just the way we've structured. Yeah, I know, of course, of course, of course. But, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's one of the it's one of the interest it is one of the interesting little quirks. Yeah, in just outsized credibility is all I'm thinking, you know. It's like it, I think you're right. Yeah, that's <laughs> all I'm saying. Right. Let's not Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. And we're not going to fix it today. <laughs> Houthi hits, Houthi hits, Austin splits and Wade Willis Ritz. Um the Austin thing is not a small story. It says no. a lot about a lot of things, Ed, I think. It does. I mean, this is about just basic executive competence. This mm-hmm. guy went AWOL mm-hmm. <laughs> as mm-hmm. the Secretary of Defense. Right. He went AWOL right. for several days. Right. Apparently, even when he was when it was discovered where he was at, he still didn't level with Joe Biden as to what he was doing there. Right. And uh, and he still got a job. I am here to tell you that if you or I pulled that at Salem, <laughs> yeah. we'd be on the streets looking for something else to do. Um, I worked in I worked in corporate America previous to my my work in politics for about twenty years, and for about fifteen of those years, I was either a manager or director of call centers. Yeah. And if I had just decided that I was just going to take a, 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 a several days off without telling my boss or my subordinates where I was at and how I could be reached and who was in charge and what they were supposed to do, I would have returned to brushing up my resume, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This. This guy should be fired for what he pulled. It's not as though he got taken to the hospital in, in an ambulance to start this thing off with. He did later when complications arose. But when you have this type of surgery, and it wasn't really truly elective surgery. No, it the, wasn't. the scheduling it's was elective. The, it's like Claudine surgery, Gay proactively fixing her dissertation. Yeah, it's yeah, a lie. you know, it's. I mean, it's. It, it, it the scheduling was elective, but the surgery was necessary. Right, I mean, right, clearly. Right, right. Um, when you when you schedule those things, you're supposed to then reach out to everybody. Say, look, I know you had vacation scheduled for this week, but you're gonna have to stay stay around. I'm sorry, we'll 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 try to do something else, but this has got I got to get this done, and you've got to be around for this. I'm talking about his deputy uh, secretary of defense, Kate Hicks, who was on vacation, not not announced to her that she was the acting secretary of defense. She, she had no idea. She did not know. She yeah, <laughs> but does it? It says all that, and I agree. It says an additional thing, too, does it not, Ed? And maybe I'll have you pick up on this on the other side of this break. But it says something, too, 
about Biden and his operation uh, of the White House, his operational control and efforting at the White House, Absolutely. that in this time, I mean, this is this is not a placid moment that for days on end, there's no communication with the secretary of defense. Who the hell is running the store here? And that's what I would love your take on when we come right back. I have a short segment. Can you finish off the hour with Absolutely. me? Absolutely, yes. Ed Morris, you got to thank you. I, uh, I will be right back with Ed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 